Uh, hey, Jordan. Hey, what's up? Well, I mean, <laughs> not much. It is, uh, yeah, I'm happy yeah. to be back um, with you, with The Insurgents, Episode 5. Looking forward to this. Mm-hmm. I gotta say, it's a, <sighs> I'm having a little bit of a tough time processing uh, certain certain events that are ongoing right now. Okay, shit. All because, right. uh, you know, I've tried to keep my mouth shut, Jordan, about some of the, the divisiveness that I've seen lately. Some mm-hmm. of the sort of uh, ugly anti-establishment kind of rhetoric from certain mm-hmm. uh, candidates in the Democratic primary. I don't, we don't need to name names here. I'm oh, sure yeah. I think I know where, I think I know where you're to. going. Yeah, oh, yeah. And I got to say, uh, Saturday really was kind of the breaking point for me. To see this continue to happen, this kind of really ugly behavior, and I've just got, I've got to say now, I mean, I have this platform that Bernie Sanders continuing to win presidential primaries, and in particularly just completely dominating in Nevada, embarrassing everyone else that was that was running. I thought that was just incredibly divisive. Yeah, and you know, I I think he should apologize, frankly. I think he should apologize for his divisive actions of uh, getting people to vote for him, getting people to show up and caucus for him, turning out, you know, a, a broad coalition of different demographics of people to support him. I don't like this kind of ugly, divisive behavior, and I think he should. I think he should apologize for it. Frankly, yeah, no, I hear you. Uh, so w- this was incredibly inconsiderate of of him to. <laughs> Uh, not only win with such a wide margin, but also uh, it shows the selfishness of the Sanders campaign. You know, yes. other candidates also spent money uh, on their campaigns. Yep. So w- what are they supposed to do? They can't get that money back. Uh, so, yeah, I-, I hear you in that he uh, should be ashamed. Uh, this is incredibly divisive. I think everyone should play nice. Uh I think the best thing for him to do, as uh, you know, this is my well-meaning suggestion. Um, I think he should drop out. Yeah, drop out and endorse Pete Buttigieg would be my uh, advice. Obviously, mm-hmm. if any, obviously, no one in the campaign is listening to what I have to say. Clearly, but <laughs> Buttigieg, obviously, the unity candidate, as he as he expertly pointed out uh, the night of this historic loss. Uh, where I believe he finished fourth uh, in Nevada. He's third um, right now. Yeah. Is he viable currently? No, no, no not right now. Another, another, another sign that Bernie selfishly was hoarding <laughs> uh, all of the delegates. Um, for, pretty interesting for a socialist. Uh, you'd think he want to spread the wealth but, and redistribute the de- delegates, but no, no, he wants them all for himself. Just uh, unbelievable yeah. behavior. <laughs> I can't do the I can't do the bit anymore. I'm okay. Sorry. I can't Did you do want the to talk anymore. about Pete literally plagiarizing Obama's speech? <laughs> <laughs> I love how the more he loses, the more he just like goes in deeply into his Obama impression. That's an interesting strategy. It's a really interesting strategy to you do the kind of vocal effect, you do the speech patterns. Yeah. And now you're just cribbing cribbing speeches from him too. Interesting he's, where he goes. Where he goes next with that? I'd be he's literally going to give the "Yes, we can" speech in South Carolina. He's yeah. that desperate. <laughs> yeah, 
No, but okay, we we're get, we don't need to do this bit anymore. It was enjoyable while it lasted, but I do. I mean, I am more in in gloating territory right now. It was a it's a pretty wonderful last couple of days just for me on the outside to observe this primary uh, taking place and the the absolutely incredible and surreal uh, media meltdown that accompanied this. Uh, we're gonna get into this, but you've been down in in Nirvana through this whole process. So what uh, what has your last couple of days been like? canvassing and and checking out this caucus what was been going on down there yeah it was really interesting and this was such a fun fulfilling week um so after the iowa debacle i was really frustrated i felt like sanders had been robbed um just and now we're seeing there's like a one delegate difference between pete and sanders with tons of irregularities there uh and you know just Seems like a lot of kind of sus behavior, uh, especially since Sanders won the popular vote by several thousand votes. Um, that motivated me to uh, get off my ass and head to Nevada and knock doors um, before the caucus because, you know, this is a movement. This is a grassroots movement. And if you have the time or the uh, capabilities or anything to help out. It's best, you know, to just chip in however you can because this is how we're going to win. This is how grassroots and progressive movements form and take shape. So came out here and, and I really just kind of floored um, with the camaraderie, the, the, the energy, the, invi- the atmosphere out here. It's been like seriously surreal. People have come from all over the country uh, to chip in, to knock on doors, to make calls, to help volunteer, to help out however they can. Uh, it's been incredible. Uh, I've got to see a lot of familiar faces. Um, got to run into some folks that I've wanted to talk to, um, and just you know, link arms and and go out there and, and knock on doors on behalf of Sanders. And what, as as everyone now knows, what what happened was just a blowout, a complete and total blowout. And the thing I think, um, we might get into this with our our, our guests later in the episode, but just the people. When you talk to people who were already all in for Sanders, just the energy uh, from them and the excitement from them is something I've never really seen before. I've never seen that with anyone talking yeah. about Hillary outside of like the extreme sycophants, like the people who just like love her as a person and not like really in a political and, and, and energized voter context, um, just from knocking on doors and and. Uh, taxis and Ubers and Lyfts and stuff. We were talking to my uh, George, who who's coming on the show later, and I were talking to everybody we could about Sanders. And the 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 number one group of people that were the most excited were Latina working class women. Unreal! Just every yeah. time you mention Sanders, they lit the up. Bernie oh, Rose. I yeah, exactly, and that really shows. Like they loved Sanders, they lit up. I love Bernie. I love Tio Bernie. I love him. And they're all they're all going out <laughs> to caucus forum. They 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 are so energized. Everyone, those are the the easiest doors to knock because they love him. Um, unbelievable. Uh, but yeah, and it really shows that this Bernie bro narrative is a complete and total farce. And they're using this to lie to you, like the 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 elite, the media elite the political elite they're using that line to lie to you and, and what that amounts to is absolute erasure of 
of a multicultural, diverse, working class grassroots movement that Sanders has built. And now we see in a diverse primary and a diverse caucus, they are all in for Sanders. It was amazing to see. Yeah, okay. And I would just like to point out, too, that what did we say on the last episode of this very program uh, that the coalition had completely changed, that a lot of the narrative coming out of Iowa and New Hampshire was that, oh, his momentum's kind of slowed. He dominated in these states in 2016, and now he has less excitement. But his coalition has changed so much to include these exact communities. We, what we said on the show last week was that this was going to be the ultimate test of that and that he was going to now expand his base and he was going to start to do even better now that he was going into these more diverse states. So automatically, our punditry, already superior to uh, you know everything you see on MSNBC and CNN and all these other networks, these like corporate networks. Um, but so that was kind of funny to me. But yeah, I think it resulted in really one of the most surreal... Uh, evenings of uh, TV watching, uh, you know, and for cable news that if, that I can think of for quite a long time, as you saw, just all these kind of preconceived notions and assumptions, just that that these kind of pundits have been relying on for the last four years. Uh, you know, talking about the Bernie Bro narrative, it's just he just appeals to, uh, you know, uh, middle class white, angry white men. Um, he's never going to, you know, he's never going to make it into the primary. It, people are going to, young people are going to go towards candidates like Beto O'Rourke and whoever, all, all these narratives that we've heard over the last year. Um, it just all blew up in these people's faces in this spectacular way on Saturday night, because even after the first two primaries, there was still kind of a sense of denial. They were still kind of had their heads in the sand about what was about to happen, about what was going on. Although you could, you could tell Chris Matthews did have a sense of it, although his reaction was not really, was not, not a great pot, not a super positive reaction from Chris Matthews. But we're, I think we're going to talk about this more later uh, with our guests, but I did just want to touch on this because it was like, it was one of the most amazing nights of cable news in recent memory. Yeah, uh, it was it was fantastic to see. Honestly, it was <laughs> it was funny, uh, kind of angering at times, but mostly cathartic uh, because you saw people who just have lied to their viewers for years and spun this narrative for years finally reckon with it, and they were finally faced yeah. with it. Like just they were face to face with the app, the actual reality of the Sanders uh, base <laughs> and they could not comprehend it. It was incredible. And you know, yeah. I did see a couple I did see a couple clips get spread around. Joanne Reed was the one who was like emerging as the person who got it, at least on MSNBC. She was basically saying like, yeah, this is it. People are, are really fed up. We've got class issues here. We've got people who can't afford their rent. And this is this is finally what's this is what's happening. She saw it. I mean, I don't know how all in. She, I don't think she's all in for Sanders or anything like that. But like, she got it. She saw it. Yeah, but, but no, Chris Matthews is in the, his like Cold War mindset. Cannot comprehend it. <laughs> no, no. Central Park awaits Chris um, for a nice uh, nice parade where nothing bad is going to happen. Don't worry about it. But no, I, like as you pointed out, because a lot of these people are you know just regular kind of propagandists and liars but i think there are a lot of these kind of elite liberal media class types who genuinely kind of believe like the the, the line about sanders and socialism and how that it's never going to work electorally and they really did believe this stuff uh and not not everyone obviously but it's so it's created this really interesting dichotomy now where people are either just like unable to continue lying about it 
or they're kind of waking up in real time to the reality of what is going on in America. And yeah, it created these really interesting moments where there's people on cable news who are just, who are like starting to see which way the wind is blowing and you're going to be seeing over the next couple of weeks and months who is able to like adjust to this and maybe adjust their thinking and start accepting this new paradigm uh, and who's just going to look like a completely out of touch uh, dipshit. And you saw you saw both ends of that spectrum on MSNBC uh, on Saturday night. Yeah. And this is just goes to show why you should never rely on on cable news for insight and analysis. You should look to polling and, uh, you know, print is typically more responsible. Cable often relies more on, you know, punditry and analysis to fill time versus, you know, that being limited to a strict section uh, in a newspaper or on a website. So important to be mindful of that. You know, we have to be we have to be sensible and 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 i guess responsible in our media consumption but not everyone does that it's and often the lines are blurred uh, especially if, if it's disseminated through social media platforms but just something to be mindful of and another thing i'm i'm thinking about a lot is how because these people are blindsided uh this this kind of echo chamber that forms on these networks through uh, the selection of people who get contracts and and i can only think of like one leftist uh, on on CNN, who gets time, and that's Alexandra Rojas, who runs Justice Dems, uh, and she's a consistent, reliable, uh, progressive voice on CNN. But that's it. Like we, there's only one, and we just yeah. like, like everything else is just like fifteen never Trumpers. Well, that's it. If these if these networks want to stay relevant at all, they're gonna have to start getting with the times and hiring people who can fucking explain to them and their viewers what is going on in America. Because obviously, a lot of them completely missed this. They've missed this huge historic grassroots movement that's been building right under their fucking noses, uh, and they've been so ensconced in this this very elite liberal bubble uh, that they've just completely missed it, and they look like they look like dummies. Yeah. Uh, and so if these networks want to continue to be relevant, they need to start hiring more people that can come on the air and explain how this has happened. Uh, because the people that they have hired so far just have not been able to do that. Right. And there's obviously an audience for it. Like we exist and we, you, the, the Sanders movement is like a perfect example uh, of that. So why are you ignoring what is like clearly a, a, a burgeoning progressive movement uh you they they hired up after the the trump wave in 2016 uh and no no similar movements uh now for sanders and and it's also a foolish business decision because we're going to go somewhere like we're going to consume something we're not going to just watch as you shit on the person that we like and everything we stand for constantly uh and that's why you know outlets like tyt have 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 grown that's why uh, Twitch streams, independent progressive um, media outlets um, and podcasts and sites have, have really taken off because we're going to go somewhere. Uh, and if you're just going to continue to ignore us and shit on us, we'll just go elsewhere. So it's 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 kind of short sighted and a bad business decision. Yeah. Although I do. I honestly do think this is going to be something we're going to start to see possibly change a little bit because i really did feel on saturday night that there was like a paradigm shift that was going on it was like you could feel it in the air it was it was that like it was that apparent uh, and i know people on these cable news shows are understand this on a some level so i think 
it's going to be very, very interesting over the next weeks and months to see how they adjust to this new reality. Because, I mean, it looks like Bernie Sanders is going to win the Democratic nomination. I mean, more and more people are saying it. More and more people are talking about it. More and more people on cable news are coming to grips with it. Uh, and to see how that changes that whole infrastructure is going to be really interesting. But you know what? Let's Can we talk about this more with our guests coming on? Because I think we could just go for the next hour talking about this. Do you want to bring in our guests now before we continue? Yeah, let's do it. Who are, who are we having on the show this week? <laughs> oh, you wanted me to do it. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't get I didn't get the hit. Uh, we're having George Smits, uh, <laughs> drummer uh, of Stick to Your Guns, uh, the hardcore band who you should definitely go check out. And you might be thinking to yourself, "What the fuck? You're you're having a drummer on to talk about politics?" Yes, we are because yeah. George is uh, incredibly smart. Stick to Your Guns is a super political band, um, and George was also my canvassing mate. Uh, in Nevada, we we went out here awesome. uh, together. So he's got the on the ground perspective and uh, way smarter than me. So it's a good guest to have on. Well, I'm looking forward to talking to him. Like going to going to hardcore shows when I was 15, 16 was kind of my first experience with like learning about things, uh, social justice, and starting to think about some of these ideas. So uh, there's a really direct direct connection between that kind of music scene and these kind of this Bernie movement. So I think they I think it's a great guest to have on. I'm looking forward to talking to him. And uh, we're going to be back with, with George right after this. back and we're here with uh with george schmitz uh the drummer from stick to your guns hardcore band stick to your guns normally i'm not i'm not really that partial to having drummers on on the program you know i'm a little bit leery about that but i'm i jordan highly recommended uh george so i'm I'm george i'm gonna give you a shot here and i'm I'm looking forward to talking to you today how's it going rob i really appreciate you making the exception (laughs) yeah no problem Uh, i was informed that uh ken klippenberg would be on the show um but, he has been uh, banned. Oh, sorry. Oh. Yeah, lifetime ban as well as Ken Klippenstein. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, you hate to see it. <laughs> I saw today there was another there was an, there was Ken, someone else. Ken Silverstein. Ken Silver who's who's this Ken Silverstein character? <laughs> He's big in the Screamo world. Um <laughs> <laughs> Nice. I think I saw them open for ABR one time. Uh yeah. good dude. We gotta we gotta shut down all these different Kens until we figure out what's going on. Oh, it's an army. Yeah, it's out of control. It's becoming dangerous and unacceptable. The, the entire situation <laughs> <laughs> with the with the Kens. Okay, well, um, so you two, I know I've been holding it down here in Montreal. No, no FOMO here at all. But you two have been, you know, uh, down in Nevada the last couple of days. Um, so I'd like to hear about this experience you guys have had, uh, and Jordan talked about it a little bit in the introduction to the show, but uh, I'd like to hear about what it's been like over the last couple of days in Nevada, uh, canvassing and uh, attending these caucuses and being there for this this big, uh, this big stunning victory by the Sanders campaign. George, how's it, how's it been going down there? Uh, it has truly been uh, – it 
for me, it's been a surreal experience. Um, you know, I was invited out on behalf of the uh, Cuban sleeper cell uh, election interference team on behalf of the Sanders campaign. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, you know, just uh, really happy and honored to be there. No, okay. Uh, but <laughs> they're backing this podcast as well. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Viva uh, la revolution. Hasta la sem- Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. But real, real sincerity hours. Uh, it's, it's been an amazing experience. Um, I can't believe how much fun it was. Uh, and I can't believe, uh, the overwhelming amount of solidarity and like camaraderie I felt, um, going out and canvassing, you know, meeting so many like-minded individuals and talking about trying to build a better, better world together. Um, I, 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 I'm I'm kind of like speechless about it still. I'm really just trying to like process and understand how, uh, I don't know, amazing that last week was. Yeah. I, I, that's my one big takeaway is just people coming from all over the country, uh, who were motivated by, you know, happenings in Iowa, uh, motivated by other people's stories, uh, and their experiences with, uh, New Hampshire, uh, in New Hampshire, just, yeah, like they wanted to come to Nevada and be part of it. They wanted to be part of something bigger than themselves, chip in however they could. Um, we talked to some people at the field office, the Northwest uh, Vegas field office, who came from uh, like Washington. There were people that flew in from England. Uh, it was it was nuts. We met like, people, people from Australia. Just, <laughs> yeah, everywhere. People just wanted to be part of this movement. It's it was really heartwarming and inspiring. Yeah. Well, no, it's I think that is something that if you're in America, you can take for granted a little bit about how much the entire world is looking at what's going on in the United States government and is starting to see this movement happen. And how many people like across all these different boundaries and and borders are kind of getting behind it like me. I mean, you know, I'm doing I'm up here in Canada doing my own uh, electoral interference. Um, (laughs) But and you two are both culpable in this now, by the way, this is all going to be getting read out in like a court transcript one day and we're all going to be sitting oh. there and you're going to well, just gonna be looking well, at me like you bastard how what did you roll me into here putin assured me that uh he would uh you know erase any yeah. digital footprints so okay great uh what was it like on the doorstep talking to people about bernie sanders uh you know it was uh it was a really interesting experience so the first uh round of canvassing that we did we went out to an apartment complex and it was me jordan and justin jackson of the uh, Los Angeles Chargers, which uh, shout out to Justin. Don't know if he's listening to this right now, but um, dude's a fucking canvassing animal. Um, yeah, yeah, it was so <laughs> that was crazy to see. He was um, ready to go. Yeah, he was there to do the work. By oh, by the way, can I swear on this? Uh, yeah, please do. Yeah. Okay, oh, yeah. sorry, sorry, I, I I wasn't sure. Although uh, I'm under- I understand that Jordan's mom doesn't doesn't like it, I, and I'm sorry, and I got to apologize <laughs> to Ms. Ms. Yule for um, you know the, the cuss words. And the f bombs. My mom has right. expressed similar uh, misgivings about some of this stuff, but you know we got to be real. We got to be real sometimes. <laughs> yeah, raw. I'm speaking from the gut. Um, yeah. But the the first round of canvassing we did uh, at an apartment complex, um, and uh, that it's it's kind of a uh, it's it's interesting, you know, just going door to door there. Um, you meet all sorts of characters. Uh, Justin had great luck there, though, um, and most of the people he was talking to were either like ready to go and ready to vote for Sanders, uh, or they were like really interested in voting for Sanders. Uh, Jordan and I, not so much, uh, <laughs> but uh, but it was it was still a good experience nonetheless. 
But uh, after the apartment complex, we then went uh, to the the DSA launch that they did out of the leftist garage. Uh, it was like uh, all the all the Chapo folks uh, and Justin and the Las Vegas DSA chapter, and they launched us um, out to a. Uh, it was it was an extremely impoverished area. Um, most of the houses were kind of like uh, trailer park setups um, that were just fenced in. A uh, lot of a uh, lot of very very big dogs, um, and uh, a lot of the houses were kind of inaccessible as a result. Um, and uh, but we did meet folks out there, uh, especially you know uh, Latinx folks who. Uh, they they would talk to us and they would say that the Sanders campaign were the only people that were reaching out to them and that yeah. they were that they were going to be uh, out caucusing for Bernie and we were able to let them know where their caucus site was and write up caucus like plans for caucus uh, and get them like the address uh, and talk to them about making sure that they were going to be there on time. Uh, I mean the ground game in Vegas for the the Sanders campaign was uh, unmatched by any of these other campaigns. Yeah, I mean Friday it had gotten so big their their caucus or canvas launch had gotten so big they couldn't even hold it in their office space because they had exceeded the capacity of the building or their their office. So they had to take everyone outside of the parking lot and gave caucus instructions and the you know the pep talk and everything uh outside and then launch them from there, which is just remarkable. Um and just in this plaza where they had this office just Several storefronts down uh, was a peat field office, and we we saw it a couple times, a couple days, and it was just dormant the entire time. So really, show and then that obviously is reflected in the in the results. Uh, we saw the Sanders campaign just crush everyone in the field, and Pete is now just trying strong to, strong third <laughs> strong third, desperately trying to uh, just surpass uh, the viability threshold. But yeah, I mean, no better, no better illustration than just a dormant field office versus uh, a, su- such a great turnout that they couldn't even fit everyone in the building for Sanders. Uh, really shows the strength of the the ground game of the Sanders campaign. And uh, yeah, and and like uh, you guys are like you guys are pointing out, this is just what Bernie has. That as much as anyone in the in the campaign would like to, they just don't have it. This kind of a movement. Uh, this thing that's drawing people, that's that's causing people to like, you know, give up hours and hours of their time to try and like work t- with their communities and go out to these different places and talk to people and and work on this. No other candidate in the Democratic primary can inspire this kind of stuff, uh, and that's exactly why Bernie is in the position he's in, which is that he's he's on the verge of winning this nomination. Uh, but exactly why, as much as they hand ring about this that he is in the best position to beat Trump because no other Democrat is going to inspire this kind of like excitement and enthusiasm that you guys are experiencing down there. Oh, 100%. And, you know, like already primary caucuses, pretty low voter turnout just in general. Um, So the folks that are going to turn out regardless, you know, your run of the mill uh, average Democratic voter, you know, they are split amongst the, uh, the candidates and, uh, they are going to go where they're going to go. They're not any crazy ideological lines. You know, the American voter is uh, ideologically incoherent. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> but the reason why, you know, Sanders is able to tip the scales uh, in favor of him is because he's the only one out there with the organizing chops actually trying to move the needle. 
Um, and that's why all these can- all these other uh, candidates and their uh, campaigns are just like dumbfounded. They can't understand it. And, uh, you know, they, uh, I always like to say that the, uh, the polls are cucked that you're re- that, that we're reading in the first place, you know, they're not giving you the demographics that are going to show the voters that Sanders is going to like activate. Uh, and I mean, proof is in the pudding with this 26% lead here in, uh, in Nevada. Yeah. Well, what I've always said about polls, um, is that I think when it, when it was six months away from the election, I think people were putting too much stock into like national polls showing Biden maintaining this lead and Bernie kind of having this ceiling and people were kind of writing them off around that. But I think they become really, really much more valuable as you get closer to the actual process taking place. And when you, you can actually start to see the impact that the campaigns are actually having on the ground in these, these various locations. Um, and as like more and more people are actually paying attention because not everyone is like so devoted to politics and this kind of stuff that they're paying super close attention to it six months away from the actual event happening. Um, so that has been the really interesting thing over the next uh, over the last couple of weeks is seeing uh, things as we get closer to this process start to uh, really shift um, and and resulting in this really, really huge victory. And that's that's kind of another thing people were, were hand wringing a little bit about. I think there was a poll, a general election poll, which I think Bernie matches up uh, very favorably against Trump nationally. I think people were kind of like um, nervous about this poll showing showing uh, Sanders lagging behind Trump in a hypothetical matchup in Wisconsin, which is like a battleground state that Bernie would need to win in order to win the election. But that's another thing that I don't think people should panic too much about, because what we're like now is it's like a completely different universe. It's a completely different story from what's going to be happening uh, four or five months from now, closer to the actual general election when there's actually a camp, a campaign in full swing and a whole, and this kind of this really breathtaking uh, historic operation that Bernie's turning out. Uh, I don't think national polls from the, showing what's going to happen in the general election really mean anything right now. Um, and it's going to be a completely different story when that's, when that's actually happening. 100%. And uh, just to give some uh, listeners, I guess, just a little bit more context uh, as to like maybe some tangible data points for uh, the ground game or the organizing game uh, in a place like Nevada. Uh, So there was a big story that broke after New Hampshire that Pete was sending like 100 plus staffers out to out to Nevada. And everyone was like, wow, you know, he's he's really taking it seriously. And they're really going to hit the ground running after that. That uh, that close second, and uh, we were talking with Cody Hoskins, uh, who was out at the Northwest office, who was uh, the one really helping us, getting us trained to canvas and stuff. And uh, Cody was like, "Yeah, I mean, we've had a hundred plus staffers on hand since June, and each subsequent each subsequent week, the numbers have only gone up from there. And I mean, by that Friday." Uh, not only were we, you know, holding rallies out in the parking lots of these offices, but they ran out of doors to knock on um, south of Vegas, and they were just trying to send people out to like even more remote locations. Um, by the end of the day, uh, what was the actual caucus like? Uh, I mean, it seemed like, from what I was seeing on the news and everything, it seemed like a pretty a lot more like of a positive, uh, less a clusterfuck experience than what was going on in, in Iowa. But what was it, what was it like for, for you guys? Uh, Oh yeah, it was, uh, I mean, Jordan and I were, uh, observing a satellite caucus at the win, um, that was organized, uh, on, uh, behalf of the, uh, shift workers 
to make sure that they could uh, still vote um, during the work hours. Uh, yeah, it was a really smooth operation. I mean, Jordan and I spent the night before uh, neutralizing any of the uh, the shadow agents that were out there uh, trying to uh, <laughs> uh, trying trying to. Uh, Thank you for your service. Yeah. Yeah, it was a tough fight, you know, but we had to fight the people, uh, you know, the shadow and the acronym folks, uh, and we uh, we took care of it. And so we had a nice clean caucus, uh, and uh, you know, I was really happy with the results. Yeah, we were uh, at the win, uh, one of the seven strip caucus sites, uh, of which Bernie won five, uh, and I think that just goes to show uh, how little the culinary union membership actually listened to leadership yes i wanted to bring this up next that's something that i think a lot of people should recognize and i think it's so funny after uh this this week or two of hand wringing and pearl clutching from the media folks and media pundits uh, bernie bros cost bernie the endorsement because of being mean to (laughs) to union members was i think the story that they were going with yeah honestly i think my flight home i'm just gonna just just do search like culinary union filter verified and just look up all the concerned yeah. troll tweets over the past oh, week and yes. start retweeting them. Yeah. Well, this is one of the most amazing stories I think, because after this kind of very kind of uh, astroturfed event where this, they tried to make this case, then sort of information started coming out from people actually in the union that disagreed with the, the leadership stance on Medicare for all. Uh, and the results on caucus day were so remarkable because you saw that completely be refuted in real time where all these rank and file members of, of this union showed up to uh, caucus for Bernie. And when you hear quotes from some of these folks talking about it, you realize how how much the Bernie's message is resonating with with people like this about things like Medicare for all, where even if you have good health care or do you want to be part of this movement where you're it's not just about you, it's about helping out other families and helping out people in your community. And you're seeing how that's really, really paying off in, in this community. And you're going to see it, I think, elsewhere also, where I don't think anyone in America, no matter how good their health insurance might be. You all, I'm sure, know at least one person who has been like immeasurably screwed over by this like barbaric healthcare system. There's there, every single person in America, has, I'm sure, has a story about that, and that's exactly this gamble that Bernie has made with with uh, going directly after private health insurance. And you're seeing now that completely pay off. People are completely buying this this argument that it's not just about them and the fact that they could lose it at any time, um, and that if fighting for the system is going to be better for everyone as a whole, you, this is really resonating with people. Yeah, oh, at, we yeah saw, absolutely. We saw uh, reports from uh, people who had talked to culinary workers and got their uh, opinion on the whole like Medicare for all like debate. And they were like, yeah, this is great. I've got healthcare now, but what if I lose my job? Then what? And I think that that was never really centered in the discussion because then like the corporate media class and, and the political elite would have to acknowledge one of the strongest selling points of Medicare for all, but they don't want to do that. So they've ignored this, but there's workers actually saying it like, yeah, that's cool now. But if I lose my job, I, I don't have culinary union healthcare anymore. So that's why Medicare for all is important. And can I just say, um, as someone obviously was grown up with a, in a, under a different system, um, where I have had access to universal health care, 
I think I can provide actually some interesting insight on this uh, because I see these arguments play out online and in the, in the news media and elsewhere. And one thing that I have really noticed in America is that people, and this I think is like has happened very, very intentionally, is that people have conflated in their minds uh, health insurance and health care. Uh, and they think when someone says, oh, Bernie Sanders is going to come after your health insurance, they th- in their minds, the connection that gets made is, oh, no, I, like, I like, need to go to see the doctor. I like going to see the doctor. And if I get hurt, I need to go be able to, uh, you know, get health care. Um, but like these two things are completely separate. They're, they're, they, they, they don't need each other to exist. Uh, you can just have access to healthcare without having this separate middleman in the process kind of extorting you, uh, for, for trying to have access to this stuff. Uh, but in America, this has really become like, uh, inseparable in people's minds with health insurance and healthcare. And that's why I think this message that Bernie has, has gone after is starting to like break some of that. And it, some of these contradictions are starting to become more apparent to people as they start to realize, like, wait, I don't actually like my health insurance company. Uh, <laughs> I've had to deal with this uh, bureaucracy and all this this shit all the time, and I don't like it. And actually, what what Bernie is saying about this makes a lot of sense. I think the uh, exit polling would definitely indicate that it seems to have uh, not only a over you know fifty percent, sixty percent support uh, depending on who you're polling, but it seems to be uh, resonating bipartisan. So, uh, yeah, I definitely think the tides are changing on that. And then actually another another point I wanted to make on that also is that it's similarly to how insurance and health health insurance and health care have become kind of inseparable. Uh, it's also really interesting how the, the idea of taxes has kind of shifted and changed um, in American discourse and in talking when it comes to the government. Um where, you know, tax, the idea of being taxed has become this like terrible uh, sin that you can never talk about. You can never bring up a tax. Uh, and people are, are intrinsically just kind of recoil when you tell them, oh, your taxes are going to go up. Um, but with the whole healthcare industry, there's been this whole like ling- uh, linguistic shift that has happened where you're paying all kinds of different taxes, but because you're paying them to a private company, it becomes a premium and a copay and a deductible and all these different things. But the result is the same. You're just paying a tax, but you're paying it to a private company. And the, the grift that has gone on is they've just changed the language enough that you're, it's not called a tax. It's called all these different things. Um, but you know, it's the, the result is the same. The fact that it's money coming out of your your uh, account. Oh, 100%. I, I think also like uh, there's been uh, an uptick in the last couple of years. And I, I directly correlate this to like people like AOC, people like Bernie, um, to how many people you can talk to now that understand how uh, tax rates work. Um, because obviously, yes. obviously in the nineties, uh, or, you know, even, even in the, uh, aughts, uh, anytime you talked about taxes, it was like, they're going to tax you 70%, whether you're making $20,000 a year or $20 billion a year, it's just going to be 70 across the board. How do you feel about that? Uh, and obviously now everyone has this more nuanced understanding of how top marginal tax rates work. <laughs> Um, so, uh, now everyone's not in like hysterics over it. Uh, so Jordan, what's the, um, you said we had some live updates coming on the actual results from the caucus. What's, do you have any updates on that? Yeah, they are now at 96% reporting from Nevada. Uh, Sanders at 46.8%, Biden at 204 Pete 
even further below viability now at 13.9 and worn at 9.8. This is um, Zippo. <laughs> Not great. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so this brings me this, – this is actually a great segue to what I wanted to bring up next, which was how fucking bizarre it was after this huge resounding victory where, again, as we've talked about, Sanders uh, – the Bernie Sanders campaign brought out this, this really broad coalition of different folks uh, from different sort of ethnic backgrounds – even different ideologies. He won in like people that were leaned more conservative or more moderate actually supported Bernie uh, in this caucus. And so it was incredibly bizarre after this result um, to have afterwards both the Buttigieg campaign and the Warren campaign come out and give their speeches and make this kind of bizarre pitch about how, no, in fact, we're the, I'm the unity candidate. Uh, we can't have this, we can't have a, a democratic candidate that pushes all these people away. We need to have a, a big tent and a big coalition where Bernie was the one that just put together this exact coalition and the, both of those campaigns completely failed at every level to do that. Um, it was, it was, I found this contrast like so bizarre seeing them come out and, and talk about talk like this, considering the result that had just happened. It was, it was incredible to me. Well, this result wouldn't have happened if there wasn't early voting, of course. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we uh, did early, early voting messed up the Warren surge. Yeah. I hate uh, to see it. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I I thought that that was just uh, insane too. I mean, Buttigieg's uh, well, I, it wasn't even a concession speech because again, he just tried to claim victory. Um, <laughs> but uh, his speech too, you know, he just uh, angled right at Sanders, and the entire thing was just focused right on him. And it's like, dude, he just won in you know a more diverse state. That's all the pundits kept on talking about. Like, oh, we'll just wait till we hit a diverse state. Then Bernie's going to collapse, you know, kind of thing. And he just yeah. Smoked. And as I pointed out on this show, we said the exact opposite, and we were more right than all these millionaires on cable news. <laughs> by the way, exactly. Well, and he just smoked everybody by twenty six percent. Like, how does anyone have any uh, fucking legs to stand on? Yeah, uh, the P- Pete is clearly just writing victory speeches and like making just minor edits and giving him regardless of what happens like his his and his tweet threads are becoming like more and more extreme after every primary and caucus the whole the whole lighting up the gymnasium thing did you guys see this oh even the pod save guys called him on that yeah yeah (laughs) oh man it's so brutal it's just so embarrassing and just kind of so they're reaching for this like inspiring thing and it's just completely you can tell how just completely astroturfed it is oh. and it's actually funny because i saw some people kind of going into the conspiracy rabbit hole on this kind of oh. talking about how Bravo. oh the lights are going out and they kind of staged this event but i was just like i feel so indifferent towards them because of how badly they just got decimated and how little of a threat they are that i just like i didn't even want to entertain the idea or start thinking about it too much um, but just it, pretty, pretty embarrassing stuff, pretty embarrassing yeah. stuff from the Pete Buttigieg campaign. Uh, I mean, Jordan and I were watching Biden's speech, uh, and uh, it was, uh, again, like it, at least Biden has the wherewithal to come out and admit that he, you know, might've taken a wallop. Uh, and he, he was out on stage, you know, doing his, oh, you kidding me? You kidding me? I ain't a socialist, but, uh, you know, we're seeing how the results come in here. And, and then MSNBC just cut him off right in the middle of it to project Sanders as the winner. <laughs> it, it was, uh, it was a pretty brutal, uh, it was a pretty brutal segue. So. But it, 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 it does like, 
it's something that Jordan and I were talking about a little bit uh, last night when we first uh, uh, talked for the beginning of the show was that just in general, the whole vibe on cable news, this, the, these, these bizarre concessions, these, uh, these bizarre uh, concession speeches were part of it. Not that they were concession speeches uh, in the case of, of Warren and Buttigieg. Um, but just, it was one of the most like surreal nights on cable news that I can recall. It, like it was really, really remarkable to see these people just have their, their, understanding of how America works and what's happening in the country just completely realigned in real time. Uh, it was really bizarre to watch. And because it, like we talked about the, the coalition that Bernie's bringing out the immigrants and the, the different diversity that he's bringing to this, this movement, how, uh, that just kind of flies in the face of this, of a, a narrative that's been prevalent uh, about Bernie on cable news for the last like five years about how he doesn't appeal to these people and he has no chance to ever uh, organize these people um, and other things about how he's uh, he was unelectable or about how you know uh, all the other things I've been saying about him over the last few years uh, about how the, about how what's currently happening about how we're all, what we're all witnessing about what we're all uh, witnessing would never ever happen uh, it's just blowing up in their faces all these various storylines and it's like we were saying uh, at the in the beginning of the show. It was just amazing seeing different people grapple with this in different ways. It, it was incredible, though. Oh, I I forget who put out the tweet, but uh, they they had said that uh, MSNBC is covering this like a terrorist attack. Uh, <laughs> I I mean, they, like the their coverage was just unbelievable. I mean, Rob, you also had a, a gold mine of a tweet uh, with the deer hunter scene. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dude, it was crazy to yeah. watch happen. I mean, Chris Matthews, obviously, he's just his. Yeah, compared to the fall of the Nazis and the fall of France. <laughs> yeah, compared to yeah the V. Fucking get it France. together, man. Uh, like you know, he's got smoke coming Jesus. out of his ears. He's you know his bangs are down over his head now. Chris, no, he looked sh- like he was in like a, a, a apocalypse bunker, like doing the. <laughs> I don't know if you remember Dawn of the Dead, the nineteen seventy eight yes, version yes. of Dawn of the Dead. He's like he's like one of those like newscasters in the beginning is all disheveled, like there's the <laughs> the world is collapsing around him. That's what it reminded me of. Uh, no, it was amazing. Chris Matthews is going to come out uh, looking like you know uh, like Martin Sheen in Apocalypse Now uh, <laughs> for the South Carolina primary in a hotel room, just doing t- like drunken tai chi in a hotel room and <laughs> collapsing <laughs> uh, every day that chris matthews wakes up is a new red dawn for him uh yeah. and so like i can't imagine what his brain is doing now after that 60 minutes interview is seeing that sanders is like talking about cuba he 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 might be dead i think it, like yeah, may- possibly anderson cooper might just be trying to fuck with him now uh- <laughs> I, uh, I I I loved the tweets about uh, Chris Matthews' reaction. I loved watching the clips of him melting down. I do think we should keep pushing that and like on a semi-serious level because the in, if people have sus- been suspended from cable networks for for much much less. Oh yes, and I think like if you remember, um, Reza Aslan got suspended from CNN or even fired from CNN for calling like Trump an asshole or like a, sh- a piece of shit or something like that. Kind of gentle in the long run. It, but for, for one of the most prominent MSNBC hosts to um, compare the descendant of Holocaust survivors 
uh, and his success in a caucus to, uh, yeah, the fall of France and, and Nazis uh, sweeping Europe. Like, that is deeply offensive, uh, and, and MSNBC should punish him at the very least so uh if people well nothing happened the other week when chuck todd compared bernie bros to uh brown shirts online brown shirts this seems to be just like a common cable news thing totally okay just to make that make that uh association fucking bizarre but if if that happened to trump and it does happen to trump the right wing is up in arms and unified in and in their outrage even if it's performative but like here, you have an actual Jewish candidate, and and none of the other Democrats are running to his defense because they see it potentially as a as a benefit to them. Yeah, it really spells out the name of the game. Absolutely. Um, but it is going to be it's going to be really fascinating to see how these cable state these cable news channels uh change or not change uh, about their approach to what's happening in America right now, because now they've been kind of in denial. Like the whole media cycle for the last year since Bernie announced his campaign has been really, really fascinating, especially if someone's followed it very closely as I'm, as I have. And I'm sure you guys have as well Um, about how the different strategies that have gone on, just completely writing them off, uh, just ignoring them for large, large stretches and keeping them out of polls and just like not really talking about what's happening Um, to, you know, this shift that started to happen just over the last few weeks, uh, right before the primary was starting when, you know, as I was mentioning, the polls were starting to really more shift in his favor and people started to kind of look around and people in this media class started to kind of start to wonder aloud, like, okay, is this, could he actually win? Like, is this actually going to happen? There was a kind of a few of these that started to creep out. And now that this, like, this is turning into this is snowballing into this massive movement. I think a, a huge historic movement that's been building completely under these people's noses uh, for the last few years. Um, now that that's become like completely unavoidable, and it, it as we were saying, it looks like Bernie Sanders is going to uh, win this nomination if things keep progressing like this. And what I'm really interested to see is how these cable uh, channels react to this, and whether they start actually taking this movement seriously whether they start actually bringing people uh, on the shows that can explain this stuff. Um, because obviously like they can't just continue to be just completely ignored. It. It's impossible. Now they can't be, I think completely diametrically opposed to it either. And be to be seen as like, how do we slow this down or how do we stop it? Because then they look like, you know, completely out of touch, uh, you know, uh, media aristocrats. Uh, so I'm really interested to see, how that how these these cable channels change over the next couple of months as this momentum continues to build uh and as as Sanders gets closer to clinching this nomination oh absolutely if they if they're if they are a savvy media type, I think you're gonna see some of them get a little bit more chameleon like uh try to hop on the uh Sanders bandwagon or at least try to draft on it you know talk we're already starting to see it. Yeah, maybe try to position themselves as somebody who is like a like a reluctant supporter or like cautiously optimistic about it, um, just to save face and just to to make sure that they um, still look like they have uh, credibility or like some media chops. Uh, but I mean, I would imagine too the networks you know want to make sure that they can keep getting viewers to turn back in for their you know hard hitting and incisive analysis. Uh, and if you're MSNBC and you're just saying, oh, you know, Bernie Sanders and his supporters are Nazis and they're not going to win anything and they just keep on going on that trip. 
eventually, you know, the people who are turning out to vote for Sanders are going to be like, um, I'm just going to turn this off. And, you know, then obviously you're going to you're going to lose your uh, you're going to lose your viewership, going to lose your I mean, your ad buys, et cetera. I don't know. I, I, I don't know much about uh, <laughs> any of the inside baseball stuff there, but that's that's what I would think would would be starting to happening. How do you think, you know, MSNBC uh, in particular, because they I think they've been the most like fervently anti yeah. uh, anti Bernie uh, and very, very obviously like, do you think that they're going to like change and, and shift their approach? Like, because it's I got the sense on this night on election night or caucus night rather that certain people were starting to at least get it, even if they don't might not approve or they might not like it, but they're like starting to see, oh, we've kind of missed something here and we're going to look foolish if we continue to just totally ignore this. Yeah. I, I, I mentioned earlier in like the cold open, Joy Ann Reed, I think was the one that really got it. Mm-hmm. Um, and she previously, she was a Sanders supporter, but you know, the party brass getting behind Hillary in 2016 kind of pushed her. Yeah. As soon as his ideas actually became viable, I think a lot of people that formerly supported him kind of shied away from it all of a sudden. Right. And maybe that correlated with uh, her salary increasing and a few things like that. But absolutely. uh, uh, The one thing I saw, I didn't see the clip, but I saw people were tweeting out like just like the best of MSNBC on Saturday. And someone said before going to a break, Brian Williams was like, did we miss something here? And it was (laughs) really something. I think you might have, Brian. I don't know, man. It just, like, didn't feel surprising to us. We, we, before they even called it, I mean, like, after, like, an hour, we saw the we saw the strip results, even. And then we saw a couple other caucus results, and just Bernie was sweeping everywhere. George and I issued uh, the, the George and Jordan seal, like, like lock of the day. We're like, this is over. We went and started to get our celebratory lunch, uh, like, well before they called it on MSNBC. Yeah. So people should really listen to us. Fox got 4% in and just said, fuck it. We've seen enough. (laughs) (laughs) Well, again, I think this was part of it for me because it was just, like I said, it was a surreal night. But part of it, I think I did feel a sense of frustration because if you're on this this stupid online Twitter uh, Bernie shitpost world, if you're part of that... You knew this was happening. You saw this coming. And there's been a better and more comprehensive analysis of what's happening in America on this very, very stupid website filled with with people with with brain worms. Uh, There's been a far better analysis of what's happening there than what you've seen on these cable news shows. And it's just been, it was so surreal seeing some of these folks just start to say like, huh, like what's, what's going on here? And it's like, it's impossible to me that you're paid to be an expert on like what's happening in the United States. And you're just completely caught with your pants down on this and have no, no idea how it happened or, or where this is coming from. Uh, when it's been obvious to so many people for, for so long, it's like, it's just extraordinary. Yeah. And I well, I will say, unlike, you know, Iowa was obviously a clusterfuck and New Hampshire, you know, the big story is like, oh, Pete is just so close. Um, unlike those two places where you could watch the cable news coverage and it would drive you insane. It was like, you know, staring into the fucking Ark of the Covenant anytime you turned on CNN or MSNBC. This caucus felt so different because like we're saying these people were just caught with their pants down and i mean you have to relish in that that you were just watching these people just try to put together uh try to put together some semblance of an of like a an analysis that doesn't make them look like absolute fucking jackasses 
Well, no, because that, that's what I was kind of suggesting before. It's like it, over the first couple of weeks of this primary with Iowa, we t- covered it on this show. There was a very, very artificial like, oh, a Pete Buttigieg actually won news cycle. And we're going to just focus on that. And we're kind of going to continue to ignore it. And then New Hampshire happened then and said, oh, um, you know, a Pete Buttigieg strong showing uh, there's big there's strong club momentum. And Bernie Sanders actually has so far less in these white states because we, as we all know, his whole coalition is just a, uh, 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 you know, white people. Um, so we're seeing his share of influence down in these states where he's supposed to be dominating. So obviously there's less enthusiasm. And then so we get into Nevada where just all of these assignments, like this whole few years of narratives uh, that they've been building that they were still kind of desperately clinging to over the first couple of weeks of this primary. Uh, they all just like exploded in their faces. And that was, that was the stu- really stunning thing about it was just watching all these people come to grips with this, that like everything that they've been saying uh, over the last year and, you know, over the last few years, especially is basically completely wrong. Yeah. They're, they've been like unable to acknowledge it or refuse to acknowledge it for years and now they're finally facing it like face to face and it's incredible to watch and one well, Trump think- was kind of the first domino right you know, like that would, there was an element there as well oh, when yeah. Trump was elected where they okay we've really missed something here in our kind of our analysis of what electability is or all these different things are, is completely distorted but then the liberals in the media and and online and in politics still kind of tried to desperately cling to this oh no it's just an aberration uh, it would, it was because of Russia and, and coming up with all these kind of different, it was because of Bernie bros being mean that that's what, that's the reason this happened. And still just kind of not just really refusing to accept the idea that something has fundamentally shifted in American society. There's, there's this ongoing paradigm shift. That's completely like, uh, destroying all these preconceived notions of, of what political life and what American culture is supposed to be. Um, so they were still kind of clinging to this for the last four years. And I feel like this Nevada caucus was the night where finally they had to just look in a fucking mirror and say, like, we don't, there's something is happening to this country that we, we do not fully understand. And we've been in denial about it. And now it's just, we can't continue to deny it anymore. And some are, some are acknowledging it, but some aren't. And the ones that aren't are hilarious because it's just <laughs> yeah, so yes. obvious where it's going but it's just like they're just doubling down and it's just like it's me at the fucking casino it's like oh this this <laughs> this uh this Willy Wonka machine just took a hundred dollars yeah better put another hundred in it this is when it turns yeah. around and it's just like it's just like again just doubling down on just stupid decisions um and I think we're seeing this from the Warren campaign like now oh, their justification yeah. is like yes yeah sure she didn't hit viability but that's just because of the debate like I'm sorry how many people change their fucking minds because of a debate? Like, maybe some, but, like, not not a substantial amount. And there was nothing preventing people who saw that who didn't already vote early from getting off their ass and going to caucus. Like, for the most part. Like, you still mm-hmm. had that opportunity to do that. And, yeah, sure, caucuses are inconvenient, but, like, I can't imagine there's going to be enough of a swing from Sanders to Warren or from anyone else to Warren simply because no. of one debate performance, especially if you didn't have that same kind of ground game. Um, yeah, like what seeing, does she go from nine percent to twelve? Like maybe if that's the, is that the most generous <laughs> uh, bump she could have gotten from that? Well, there's right. still a huge movement that's coalescing around another candidate, and it, that that's <laughs> apparent to everyone now. And that's just you know that's not that's just the reality of what's happening, and they don't seem to be able to really accept that reality. Yeah, and Matt Matt Bender had a tweet because uh, obviously everyone's talking about like you know the early voting is what threw this off because of Warren's uh, strong debate performance. 
And they're trying to extrapolate this data out of like one caucus site where she outperformed by like 50%, you know, but she was like still unviable at this caucus site, even (laughs) outperforming like by 50% or something like that. And I could be getting these numbers wrong, but even if you take that number and go like, okay, well, let's apply that to the early voting, combine all of that together. If she were to outperform all of these all of these expectations by like another fifty percent, she would still not be viable in the state. Jesus Christ! But yeah, hey, dude, it's she's got the momentum now. Uh, we've speculated on it repeatedly on the show about what her sort of strategy is, but it's looking less and less like an actual possibility. And and the longer I think the campaign goes before acknowledging this, they just look more desperate and bizarre uh, each day. Um. But I guess that leads to uh, what's going to happen next. And, you know, talking about South Carolina coming up next weekend on Saturday, we've seen the polling now start to equalize and shift for that. Biden's been in the lead there for a long time, but now it's looking on a number of polls like Bernie is uh, has pulled even or ahead. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like what I said on Twitter um, the other day was that I think there is a whole kind of media cycle about a contested convention. We've talked about it on this show and what that's going to mean. And it looks like a lot of what the Democratic Party and what the establishment is kind of preparing for is a, is a contested convention where they can then kind of hopefully get the nomination to someone else. But it really does feel now that there's real strong momentum building. Every Everyday people that aren't super plugged into this stuff every single day are going to notice that and feel it. And I really do feel like Bernie is probably going to go into South Carolina and win this weekend, which is going to just set him up to be completely unstoppable moving forward. And I don't think there is going to be a situation where there there is a contested convention, because I think the more energy and excitement builds around this, it's just going to be too much for anyone to overcome. And, you know, as we've talked about many times, even if they do go into a convention, if he hasn't completely uh, clinched the nomination at that time, it would be unbelievably short-sighted and and pretty much political suicide to take the the movement that's been built so far that delivered him the most votes and the most delegates at the time and then to say that none of that matters i mean it would be it would be ludicrous but i i honestly at this point don't think that it's going to get to that point no i don't think so either uh yeah like you said you know the polls that are coming out he's either within the margin of error he's on striking distance you know biden is down 17 points in some of these polls from where he was at when he started, uh, which, I mean, talk about just a, a, a fall from grace. Uh, and again, like we were saying earlier, you know, if these polls are already kind of like predisposed to kind of being cucked or, or to not include, you know, the Sanders coalition, like the uh, the people that he's mobilizing that aren't necessarily uh, engaged in the political process or like yeah. are, the, are the people that aren't always uh, included in these polls – I yeah. mean, you know, what if I've, we... I've long suggested that the polls were, in fact, cucked in the opposite direction. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, and I mean, it, it's one thing if, you know, let's say let's say Sanders wins South Carolina by like one or two points, you know, and obviously the the media will try to spin that any way they can. But like if it is a five or six point victory here in South Carolina, I like <laughs> I don't I don't even know what what will happen to these news outlets. They won't even know how to process this. Yeah, the the like 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 George was saying, the Sanders campaign or Sanders is now within uh, the margin of, of error on these polls in several key states. Um, and and 
one really promising one, obviously, is uh, California. He's got like a, a pretty wide lead there. Um, you also see uh, within one point in South Carolina, within one point in Texas. And so let's say hypothetically um, Biden squeaks out a victory in South Carolina, which would be his first primary win ever. Yeah, his uh, entire career. The, yeah. cannot cannot stress that enough that would be the first time he has ever won so you have that but then if if sanders wins uh most of the delegates or the largest share of the delegates in texas and then the largest share of the delegates in california and in a, you know pie in the sky aspirations in california if he's the only viable candidate in california oh, it's um, over then. it is done just just nail in the coffin done and then we're gonna see you're gonna see people lose their fucking minds it is <laughs> just going into just like just apoplectic nuclear meltdown mode third i don't know if you guys saw the, the politico article yesterday third way the one of the guys who runs third way told politico this is the darkest day in politics for him in a very long time <laughs> and he's like just slipping into depression and it's just like these are people who told us for years that we need to center voters of color and the Democratic coalition is is made up of a diverse voter block and we need to center them and follow their lead. And as soon as we hit a diverse state, it's like, oh, shit, I am so depressed. I can't believe this. It went this way. It's like, do you want this or not? And I would argue that they don't because it was just a cudgel to, you know, you know to beat back other progressive people. Uh, but yeah, this this is this is what they said we needed to do, and now Sanders is doing it, and they don't want to do it. Th- that's the really cynical thing coming out of any of this, you know, is them tokenizing and using you know uh, people of color as like a political cudgel, like you said, um, to uh, to try to beat back the Sanders campaign and talk about how like Sanders can't rally their support, and you know Sanders doesn't address their material uh, interests or needs. And then you know you have Nevada popping off with uh, what's the ex- what's the what's the polling seventy percent of the the uh, Latino vote um, or uh, I, around I, there, yeah yeah it's around there or something like that you see that happen and instantly you know these in, these people who are you know warriors for intersectionality and understanding how to organize al- uh, along lines of identity all of a sudden they're just like uh well uh, it, it's because uh, maybe it's because they want to be angry white men I saw that fucking <laughs> take get put out into the universe and that was uh, incredible. Uh, lost years off of my life (laughs) (laughs) well this gets to something that i think has been on my mind a little bit lately as it has this campaign has like gone on and now that it started to pick up momentum you know i think it's something that some people do need to hear um uh and this is like this this kind of goes out to the the my my liberal friends you know the people that are more in that kind of liberal mindset now i think jordan you probably know that sometimes i can be kind of a prick to these people online uh, and I probably, a lot of them hate me. I understand that. I think, I think I'm blocked by like probably 80% of the most prominent sort of liberal Twitter accounts. Um, <laughs> and I guess that's part, you know, that's online kind of fosters that kind of, uh, prickly, um, uh, writing, but I do, I really do want this show in particular to be a kind of safe space for people that are coming more from that political milieu that are starting to like, think about some of these ideas, maybe for the first time, seriously, and I think that's the thing that I've I've come to think about this this kind of current moment in American history uh, when it comes to these these folks is that for liberals it's time to take yes for an answer because um, I think as long as I've been paying attention to politics anywhere or American politics or or here this has been a problem here as well which is going on like 
20 years now almost. Um, a lot of what I've heard from the kind of more liberal oriented people is that, you know, we believe in all these, these high minded ideas. We believe in having universal healthcare. We believe in having this bold agenda. We believe in, 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 you know, fighting climate change and doing all these important things. And I think a lot of liberals do believe in that stuff. Like, I don't, I don't think they're being disingenuous. I think there a lot of these people are good people that want the world to be better, that want society to be better. But they've been kind of like brainwashed by this this idea that uh, the only way, even though we believe in this stuff, the only way it can ever be achieved is through this incrementalism by being bipartisan. You know, we, we want to believe in that stuff and have these high-minded ideals, but we have to be realistic and we have to think about the deficit and the budget and we have to work with Republicans and we have to come up and we have to find these like little victories uh, um, through this kind of process. And that's resulted and I think, America over the last 20 years just going really, really far to the right and just being dragged uh, by people that kind of abuse this process. And what I think the Sanders campaign represents is just an opportunity for liberals to, like I said, finally just take yes for an answer. There's an opportunity right now building to really genuinely fight for universal health care, if that's what you believe in or to really genuinely fight for a different kind of foreign policy that's not just kind of different variations of the same uh, brutal imperialism, or to really fight for a bold uh, climate agenda. There's an actual genuine opportunity that's that's come along right now at this moment that hasn't been there for uh, a long time. I mean, you, we can. I think that the Obama administration was the last time the opportunity was there, but I think the results were squandered so much by that exact approach that I was talking about. And... Um, there's really an opportunity right now for for people that have never really uh, bought into this idea that yet that you can't do anything other than be kind of be incremental and bipartisan and achieve these small victories along the way. There's an actual genuine opportunity to get on board a movement to really genuinely fight for these things and really try a different approach to try and achieve these kind of big, bold uh, ideas that they, that a lot of these folks claim to believe in. You know, and that's, I think, the kind of fascinating thing about this moment is that as I do think there's going to be people that dig in their heels and they ref that refuse to kind of go along with this, I think. And my hope is that we're going to start to see um, more and more folks that maybe come from that kind of Obama coalition or come from that more liberal mindset start to just realize the opportunity that's staring them in the face to actually go out and fight for these things and achieve them with, like you guys were saying, the exact broad, diverse coalition that you're always saying that you want to try and motivate it's all here happening right in the united states right now at this moment and all some of these folks need to do is kind of realize the opportunity that's staring them in the face and hop on board and they can actually start to fight for a lot of these really big bold uh, important ideas uh that, spot on and uh it it <laughs> I will say that uh, in my feed, you know, there's been like this kind of fracturing from the various uh, camps uh, and it, it, it goes one of two ways. Either they're digging their heels in and they're, they believe that, you know, their candidate still has a path to nomination, whether that be through some miraculous comeback uh, or, or the brokered convention or, you know, on the other side of this fracture, there are people who are leaving these campaigns uh, or, you know, putting their support in the Sanders corner and they're saying like, hey, you know, I was a doubter. I, I, I was on the or I was on the fence, you know, um, I, I was sympathetic to the movement, but I was unsure if uh, it, 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 it could, you know, actually materialize. And uh, now I've seen it proofs in the pudding and I'm here and I'm ready to fight. Um, and, you know, you love to see those people, uh, but uh, it, it's happening for a lot of them. Um, 
but uh, I mean, there's still some holdouts. I'm just I I I'm I'm going through the state by state polls, and I'm thinking about how uh, we we have been browbeaten for years over concerns of electability uh, and viability of platforms, and um, you know who can who can turn out the voters and whatnot, and all all this this horse race and, and traditional political science bullshit about like name recognition and whatnot. And I'm looking at California's right now, and Sanders is at 26.3, and the next highest is Biden with 14.8, and then it all it all goes down from there. And if those hold, no one else is viable. And I'm thinking about how in this what we traditionally understood as a coastal elite state, how Sanders, the working class candidate, is just light years ahead of everybody else. And while that may come as a shock to many people, it's important to understand that his message cuts across like all swaths of America. And sure, there are like coastal bubbles in California, but that is a huge state with a ton of working class people. It's expensive to live there. The cost of living is really high. Um, you know, people are, are feeling the pain there, just like they are in the rest of the country. So what Sanders' message uh, does is reaches people that have traditionally been ignored uh, by the the media class, the consultant class, uh, and it gets them... You know, you know, it meets them where they're at, and that's something that uh, I don't think candidates have really thought about or done. When we see <laughs> Warren's rallying cry uh, at the at the last like debate and town hall, and now um, in her speeches, going after Bernie for the filibuster, like no one, no one's gonna come out to vote. I mean, I th- I, I I think she makes an interesting point. But no one is going to come out to vote for the fucking filibuster. And I think that just like <laughs> I, I I think that really shows like the strength of the Sanders campaign. It's like we're not going to get caught up in all of this like highbrow bullshit. There's some parts of that that sure they'll they'll talk about if he if he wins. But no, we're going out and we're going to talk about your material condition. We're going to meet you where you're at. We're going to have people – we're going to specifically uh, corral people who speak Spanish and bring Spanish speakers to you so we could talk to you because you're important and you shouldn't be forgotten. You shouldn't be just like uh, – our our Latino outreach shouldn't just be uh, a Google-translated tweet into Spanish trying to beg culinary uh, workers to to vote for you. Like they're actually going to go do the work. Uh, We saw it in Nevada and now we're about to see it in California and it's just like – it's really inspiring as we – as we enter like what are going to be probably the last days for many of the candidates. And, and when we see a, a, a drastically narrow field after super Tuesday, like really good chance that, that Sanders emerges from that as the clear leader. And I'm, I'm inspired by the work everyone does. I'm inspired by the messaging of the campaign. And um, yeah, I just think that if you can get out there and you can knock on doors and you can volunteer text bank or phone bank, whatever you can, a little bit of work goes a long way because it's not just you doing it. It's you plus thousands of other people. So if you could chip in, you could really make a difference. I think I'm going to start doing texts. I think I'm allowed to. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's (laughs) strictly speaking legal or not, but I think it might be. Can I do that? You think? Maybe. I mean, if you could, if you could come here and volunteer, why couldn't you text? You probably should. I mean, I'll, I'll deputize That's you right. on behalf of the election and interference uh, <laughs> tactical Thank you. squad. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. No, but <laughs> like, it's kind of funny to me because, like, you know, I'm passionate about this and I'm I'm really excited about this movement. And I guess people people ask me sometimes, like, you know, you don't you're not in the United States. Why do you why do you care about so much? Why do you care so much about this? 
Uh, and that's part of it. I mean, part of it is just that I think you lose sight of the fact that when you're in, when you're American, what happens in the United States government really matters to everyone. It matters a lot to here in Canada it matters to people in foreign countries that get bombed and decimated by the U S military. Um, it really happens on an environmental level, right? Like if you care about the climate crisis, you really desperately need the U S to be a leader on this issue. Um, so that's like really vital for the entire planet that, that, that happens and not just, not just a leader in that, Oh, we're, we're possibly going to attempt to reduce emissions to X, but really start trying to take drastic changes to fundamentally transform American society, a society, uh, to try and kind of avert or, or diminish this climate crisis. Um, so that's one reason that I'm, I get passionate that I'm fired up about this, that I'm passionate about it. Um, and that's another reason too, is that Canada doesn't have a movement like this. We've not had like a, a broad left-wing social movement in this country in decades. And, I'm, it's part of why I'm so inspired by the Bernie movement is that because I, we need to have this exact movement in this country. Um, and so many people, um, are, are complacent here that are, that think that because we're not America, we're some kind of, uh, socialist utopia, but we're not at all. And we, you know, we're seeing that this week in Canada with the, the, our return to our like settler colonialist violence with the, uh, the Wet'suwet'en blockades that are being torn down right now. And um, that's that's exactly why I'm so inspired by this. It's exactly why I like to talk about it. Why I'm I'm um, why I'm kind of peripherally involved in this Bernie movement is because it's not just about uh, the United States. It's not just about the presidential election, but it's about kind of a global shift in changing our values and our priorities and trying to like um, make things maybe a bit better uh, because we've not we've things have like gotten pretty dire. I think all over the place. Over the last couple of decades, I think a lot of people are nervous about how that is. And um, the Bernie campaign to a lot of people around the around the world right now represents a possible reprieve from some of that. Um, so I'm looking forward to how things go. And I'm uh, I'm excited to continue covering it on this very program. And George, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for coming uh, on. Uh, so glad to be here, guys. Thank you for having me on. Is there anything you want to plug? Uh i mean i guess plug, yeah i guess i could plug my band uh yeah i play drums for a band stick to your guns um we're gonna be uh having a record come out a little bit later this year um date's not for certain yet uh still waiting on some mixes and such but uh, i mean that's where you can catch me mostly Poli- my my interest in politics i mean it's not a hobby because you know i i want to actually uh, build a better world with people uh, <laughs> but um uh I, my uh, my day job is uh, playing drums for a band so <laughs> so if any of this analysis was bad or you thought uh, it was misguided <laughs> um, it's because i'm just stu- a drummer yeah I'm, just a drummer I, folks I'm a, I'm a stupid dum-dum so <laughs> oh they also have a podcast the band has a podcast now that gets political yeah our our band is you know explicitly a, a political band um, and, uh, so yeah, our, uh, our podcast tends to, you know, cover, cover some political topics. You know, it's, uh, it's a podcast that's for people who are just fans of our band or fans of hearing touring stories, or, you know, sometimes there's going to be a couple of political episodes, uh, littered in there amongst them. So you can get some, uh, I guess, political analysis from band guys. I know that's a voice that's really <laughs> missing on the political scene. So, well, I'm a former band guy myself. So, <laughs> but um, okay, well, George, uh, we really appreciated talking to you. Um, thank you for thank you for joining us, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. 
Thank you for listening to The Insurgents. Please remember to subscribe over at theinsurgents.substack.com. Find the podcast on all your favorite podcast apps. And please remember to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's very helpful and we appreciate it a lot. But please, again, don't mention Ken Klippenstein in the review. He is banned from the show. It's a lifetime ban. So please do not mention him in the review. And we'll be back later this week with more of the content that you know and love. Goodbye.